We all like shortcuts. Why take that long road when this road is faster? If we can get things done in a shorter time, with the same or even better results, why shouldn't we? It's a no-brainer. What if I told you there is a shortcut to missions? There is a shortcut for the Great Commission. Would you take it? Does that shortcut even exist? Find out in today's book review. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today I review No Shortcut to Success, a Manifesto for Modern Missions by Matt Rhodes, 272 pages published by Crossway in February 2022. It's available from Amazon Kindle for $12.82 as of this recording. Full disclosure, I got this book for free from Crossway's blog review program. Uh, They have no input on this review. This book came at just the right time. I've been wanting to read a book-length response to the church planting movement, CPM, and uh, the disciple-making movement, DMM, ever since I read how some of these uh, proponents trash the established church's mission work today. They say that the uh, mission work today Uh, They are complacent, and there is some truth in that. And they also say that the way the established church does things is hopelessly outdated. They say that we cannot keep looking back to the glory days of William Carey and Hudson Taylor and all the old missionaries. Their methods worked a hundred years ago, but don't work today. We must look at the church in Acts. They are fast-growing, outward-looking, soul-saving movements. So let us get with the program, let us get into the church-planting movement or disciple-making movement or some other movement and let us see the Great Commission in action. So that is uh, the way they are putting forth their ideas. And I disagree. I disagree that the old ways are outdated. But what do I know? I am not a missionary. I have an opinion on just about anything, but I can't say that the old ways still work because, simply put, I don't know. But Matt Rhodes knows and he can explain. Matt Rhodes is a missionary who has lived in North Africa, serving as part of a church planting team to a previously unengaged people group. So he has credibility and he is presenting his case over here uh, clearly and boldly. From his vantage point in the missionary world, he sees many people rushing to use church planting movement, CPM, uh, disciple-making movement, DMM, and related methods. Now, these methods are, according to Rhodes, uh, they are attractive because they, they are shortcuts. But stay away, says Rhodes, for there is no shortcut to success. The book is divided into two parts. Part one is titled, Where Shortcuts Have Led Us, Surveying the Problem. Part 2 is titled, Correcting Our Course. In the first chapter, Rhodes argues for professionalism. Wait a minute, didn't Pastor John Piper himself wrote a whole book titled, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals? Now, Rhodes here mentions Piper's book, but the way Rhodes defines professionalism here is that we should excel in our field, to not be amateurish and slipshod about it. For example, if you're going to reach out to an unreached people group, then learn the language. It's not enough to tell them that Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, because those are the only things you know how to say in that local language. 
we need to do more if we are going to win souls. So Rhodes sees that doing more is part of professionalism. And he says that this is contrary to the CPM-style approach. He describes all these various modern methods as CPM-style, so that's how we will talk about uh, those methods. And he describes those approaches as follows. Number one, there is an overemphasis on speed. Number two, an over-dependence on silver bullet strategies. Number three, an oversized role is given to short-term mission trips. And lastly, there is an overweening skepticism of intellectual preparedness. He elaborates on each point. And reading each point, just when you think his criticism is too sharp, stabbing deep into the CPM guy's heart, you then turn the pages and you read chapters 2 and 3. Yikes! <laughs> chapters, uh, chapter 2's title if mo is Movements and Rumors of Movements. He puts the question whether there is an actual genuine movement uh, in play. Chapter 3's title is In the Scales of Scriptures, and you know what he's going to do there. Now, before I go into some of his criticisms, which I will bring out, I just want to point out the method behind his criticism. Uh, over in this book, after briefly listing what he defines as CPM-style methods and talking about the proponents, the people involved, Rhodes writes, I quote, in what follows, which is the rest of the book, in what follows, I'll do my best to characterize each method fairly, drawing quotes from popular resources written by the known leaders and principal designers of these methods. For example, to describe DMM, I'll generally refer to books by David and Paul Watson and Jerry Trousdale. I don't assume, of course, that every DMM practitioner agrees with Trousdale or the Watsons in every particular. End quote. He follows that by saying, I quote, I should also note that there is much to be praised in today's most popular methods. Whenever we look at any ministry method, we must attempt to learn what we can, end quote. That being said, I, I asked a DM trainer and practitioner, a, a good man that I know, a fellow brother in Christ, to read the book, which he graciously did. Um, and uh, he didn't agree with a lot of what uh, uh, Matt Rhodes has written. We had a very invigorating uh, conversations uh, uh, on the book, and I'll share what I learned from those conversations later after I describe uh, Matt Rhodes' book here. Okay, So let's just look at the book first. As I was saying, the second and third chapters are the spiciest of the book. In the Movements and Rumors of Movements chapter, uh, Rhodes quotes David Watson who wrote that in Northern Africa, DMM led to 2 million Hindus being baptized in a few short years. This then became 4 million, then 5.4 million, and finally 10 million baptized believers. Rhodes asks, okay, Rhodes asks, are these numbers true? <laughs> I quote, these amazing successes have supposedly resulted from new methods that depart markedly from the slow, thorough path I'll be advocating. And I must admit the numbers are enticing. What missionary doesn't dream of such success? And who but the most hard-hearted could doubt that these stories are true? After years on the field with little tangible success, many missionaries are ready to try something new. Many missions organizations, after long years in the doldrums, 
eagerly embrace new methods, and so they send their missionaries to be trained. I repeat, no one wants to rain on a good parade, but if we care about the lost, we must do our due diligence. End quote. Um, Rhodes worked in population-based statistics for eight years before entering the mission field. So as he, as he uses his experience to explain the possible reasons for what he sees as exaggerated numbers, uh, it's, it's good to read those uh, reasons. He, shares, he also shares the experience of other missionaries, including himself, who serve in uh, some of these areas, but don't see the explosive conversions that are claimed in those books. He writes, I quote, Publicists of the Bhojpuri movement acknowledge that, uh, quote also, uh, quote here, sometimes people travel through an area where a movement has been reported and they don't see evidence of it, end quote, but assure us that, quote, you can walk in the jungle and never see any animals. That doesn't mean there are no animals in the jungle, end quote. So he's quoting them. And then uh, um, still, I'm still quoting Rhodes here. Quote, uh, Rhodes responds to that. Rhodes responds to the idea that just because you walk in the jungle and never see any animals, that does not mean that there are no animals in the jungle. Rhodes uh, replies, this may be true, but it becomes less plausible when the type of jungle animal in question is purported to have a population of 10 million and when all of the other jungle animals object noisily to its presence, end quote. Basically, what he's saying is, if there are 10 million Christians in a hostile community, people are going to get angry, people are going to get very hostile, aggressive, violent, and we don't see any of that. So maybe, just maybe, those numbers are not true, no matter how well hidden this underground movement may be. Chapter 3 is titled, In the Scales of the Scriptures. And no surprise, Rhodes uh, finds the CPM-style methods to be found wanting. He breaks this chapter down to five sections. I'll just share the first one. The section is titled, Overemphasis on Rapid Growth. He references here, I'll just quote here, he references David Watson and Paul Watson's book, Contagious Disciple Making. And he writes, I quote, for example, in disciple-making movements, DMM, uh, four generations of churches must be planted every three years for a genuine movement to have occurred. Um, that is, within a three-year period, a new church must plant a second new church, which in turn must plant a third new church, and that third church must also plant a fourth new church. In other words, a brand new church should plant another new church in only nine months. Rhodes, end quote, Rhodes makes an effort, okay, uh, throughout all this, uh, this uh, chapter, chapter three, he, he makes an effort to show that he is not putting words into these guys' mouths. He has the receipts. Chapter three consists of 40 pages, and there are 133 footnotes uh, that all refer to the books that these guys wrote. Uh, so he's trying to show you that this is not what he is saying, this is what these guys are saying. And um, also, uh, he tries to be fair. Now, whether <laughs> his attempt is appreciated or not is one thing, <laughs> but uh, he does give credit where credit is due. Okay, Some would argue maybe not enough, but anyway, he writes, I quote, I love 
CPM star practitioners desire for lots of people to come to Christ and quickly. As promoters of CPM star methods often point out, the church did grow quickly in the book of Acts, and the gospel did spread throughout the entire Roman world within a few hundred years after Jesus' resurrection. And end quote. So he will actually go through uh, the statistics on how what's the percentage that's needed for, for the gospel to grow uh, within those few hundred years. But anyway, that's, that's uh, one part of the book. And uh, he also writes that in the scales of scripture, in the scales of scripture, speed is not the overriding priority in scripture. Uh, Rhodes writes, I quote, Paul writes, Paul writes that he proclaimed Jesus by warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Colossians 1.28. According to Paul, then, the ability to teach with all wisdom is necessary to lead others to maturity. Until they gain this wisdom, new believers will be seriously limited in their ability to disciple others and plant new churches. End quote. So that is also a very strong theme that comes out in this book, which is maturity. That the person, as they pass on, they need to disciple others. Uh, he says that we should be more wise, uh, more knowledgeable about Christ, uh, and... Uh, and, and be a believer. <laughs> so that's something I'll talk about uh, in, later on in this episode, that there is the, um, it's implied that you should be a believer before we present um, the Christ to other people. And uh, Rhodes also uh, concludes this uh, section, so I'm just giving you a flavor. He concludes this section with the following words, I quote, We can contentedly follow the pattern of Jesus. He often avoided the crowds in order to spend time with his disciples. It was only when their maturation process was complete that he committed the growth of the church into their hands. We had better not push too hard for grandchildren before the children are fully grown. End quote. So, if you have heard of CPM or DMM or T4T or other similar methods that talk about, you know, uh, we have seen this amount of growth uh, that in, in this part of the world, you have seen so many disciples and they keep expanding and reproducing and so on. Um, you will appreciate uh, Rhodes reading all these books because there are so many methods, you see. And so Rhodes uh, reads all these books, he summarizes what they have in common, and he gives a strong critique, not as an armchair pundit like me, but as a missionary who cares very much for the lost and empathizes with what the designers of these movements are trying to achieve. He doesn't see them as the enemy, he doesn't see them as the enemy. He, uh, he sees them, I would say, as uh, terribly misguided. <laughs> and um, there is the question that comes out as you read the book, as I've been uh, told to be careful of, is whether he actually understands all these books that he reads and analyzes, and whether is it a correct representation of uh, any one of these movements, or a correct representation of this, these movements as a whole. But I'll answer that question later. Um, then let's go into part two. Because there is so much flaws, okay, there's so many flaws, sorry, there's so many flaws in, the, in part one, we need a course correction. And that's the title of part two of the book. I won't be spending as much time on part two of the book, um, not because it's less important, far from it, but because I want to get to the 
possible pushbacks against uh, roads, which um, will help those who, who are coming from the different uh, uh, places <laughs> when, it comes to the, from, when it comes to mission work. Now again, part two is important, and I would argue more important than part one, because it's easy to destroy an idea. I mean, if you have some idea, it's so easy to just punch holes in, into it. It's much harder to build up, okay? To construct an argument is much harder than to demolish one. And ultimately, ultimately, this book is not a hit piece on CPM star methods. Uh, remember, the subtitle of the book is A Manifesto for Modern Missions. He makes that point clearly, credibly, and boldly in the remaining seven chapters of the book. Again, he only has three chapters on, on saying how wrong, why uh, the other methods are wrong. So he has seven chapters, on the other hand, to, to say uh, what uh, modern missions should look like. So the titles are Ambassadors for Christ. He goes into what, what a missionary actually is. He looks into uh, New Testament missionary communication. That's a chapter title. Other chapter titles are Communicating Clearly Today, Credibility and Boldness Today, a Long-Term Path for Missionaries, um, Equipping and Sending, Work and the Holy Spirit. So those are things that uh, he has written. And anyone or any church with an interest in missions should read these seven chapters. Um, I should have said this earlier, but by missions, Matt wrote, is not referring to, to any and every activity that reaches to the lost. So like your soup kitchen or a youth concert or you sharing with your colleague over lunch about Jesus. By missions, he is referring to a long-term gospel work to reach um, unreached or unengaged uh, people groups. Okay, You're talking about uh, following in the footsteps of William Carey, Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, and so on. So he's talking about that type of missions. And uh, Rhodes argues that missionaries uh, need to learn the language and, and translate the Bible into the local language. They need to understand so there's intellectual preparedness. They need to understand the community's worldview and religion in order to best proclaim the gospel. And proclaiming the gospel is the goal. The goal is not to teach English. It's not to build houses for the poor. It's not to start an orphanage. All these are worthwhile initiatives. They are Christ-like, shining, are very beautiful things that may happen alongside gospel proclamation. But he says that we cannot let secondary objectives become the primary objective. We cannot let the good works uh, become the mission. We must, let the, we must have the good news become the mission, continue to be the mission. And uh, Rose doesn't just talk about the theory, about what we should and should not. He gets down to the nitty-gritty details. Are you single? Are you willing to stay single? Because that could be what will happen if you go into the mission field with a culture that is so alien that, do, that doesn't accept Christ. Are you married? Is your spouse willing to go into the mission field? Do you have children? Will your children be safe where you are going? Uh, how will you choose where you're going? Will you be throwing a dart at a map? Does the Holy Spirit answer uh, all these questions by giving impressions into your hearts? Um, is it wrong to try to figure out all these questions with, with our minds, with our God-given mind? And uh, what is the role of the church? 
What milestones should we expect for the missionary or for the church? And these are many, many questions, very practical questions. And, and he offers his answers and all from the horse's mouth, I mean the missionary's mouth. Another title for this book could well be How to Be a Missionary and Succeed. So if I could summarize the part one and part two, it would be like this. Part one questions the prevailing, he is arguing that it's a prevailing, this, uh, this overwhelming uh, movement for CPM style methods. He, he writes as if this, uh, the old ways are under threat of being overwhelmed. And this is funny because um, the, those, the, those guys he's criticizing, the, the way they write their books is as if they, they are the minority and it is the traditional churches that are stomping on them. That's not giving them space and room to actually grow. So both uh, parties actually see themselves as the underdog in this uh, so-called fight. Um, part two, uh, to me, uh, when I read uh, Rhodes, is less a manifesto. It's not so rousing as a manifesto. I always imagine a manifesto to be very rousing. And it's more of a down-to-earth look at what mission should look like and how you and your church can prepare for missions. In that sense, it's very, very practical. Um, and uh, I think it's really helpful for those who are going to venture into the, the mission field. Now, let us move to, the, to a critical evaluation of the book. <laughs> and my aim here is not to attack or even defend Rhodes, but simply to enlarge the conversation. Let's look at one objection. There are many, but I'll just pick one. Uh, Rhodes sets up a false dichotomy. Uh, you have to choose this or that. Um, the way uh, Rhodes presents it, um, it is as if what is in part two cannot be cannot be part of CPM-style methods. And while there are uh, some parts which I can see why he would think that, um, I, I think that there are some cases where I think he overreaches. For example, Rhodes emphasizes on language acquisitions. But just because some proponents, okay, I, I mean Watson or Trousdale or uh, Smith or whoever those guys are, just because they dismiss the need to learn the local language does not mean that learning language is antithetical. It is not possible in CPM star methods. I dare say, if I'm not wrong, there are people in those movements who are translating the Bible into the local language. So um, now to be fair to Rhodes, uh, he did say that he can't comment on the broad spectrum of practitioners and can only critique what the, what the designers have written. Be that as it may, if the movement has truly gotten bigger than the, the designers or popularizers and uh, the real practitioners, okay, those people who are actually doing the work, have adapted the ideas, adapted being the key word here, to address the gaps that Rhodes has identified, then what that means is that Rhodes' criticisms in this book has weakened. And it's not just on learning the local language. If other practitioners, okay, that, that was not clear from the books that uh, Rhodes has, has read and analyzed and summarized and, and picked up, uh, other practitioners, if, they're able, if they are able to show that they do not overemphasize on speed. They do not over-depend on silver bullet strategies. They do not give an oversized role to short-term mission trips. And they are not, contrary to everyone's uh, perception, they are not skeptical of intellectual preparedness. And if they agree and do much of what Rhodes suggests, 
then maybe we don't have to choose between two methods. Perhaps the distinctions are not as sharp as how Rhodes writes here. And if that was true, and I can't say that it is, um, that it is true, uh, because the spectrum might be wider, it might be narrower, um, then I would like to think that Rhodes would be happy to be wrong in this regard. He would be happy to have more missionaries uh, see and address the gaps in Watson, Garrison, Smith and others, regardless of whether he perceived those gaps accurately in the first place. If true that, uh, that uh, the spectrum is wider and more people actually do address uh, those issues uh, than not, then someone really should write a book-length response to Rhodes to correct the record so that we can feel the real tension between the two approaches. I mean, we really look at what are the differences rather than look at, um, at, at uh, imaginary, if, uh, it's not really imaginary, but what is not the, the difference between reality and what's in the books. So as Proverbs 18.17 puts it so eloquently, I quote, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him, end quote. So in this book, Rhodes has given us a critical evaluation of Watson, Garrison, and others. So the other people have stated their case, and then, Gar and then Rhodes comes in and examines and shows that there is a weakness in, those, in what they are saying. I'm hoping that someone comes and examines Rhodes in the future. So again, to, to, to work on how best to present the gospel to unrich people. Now, having said that, did Rhodes completely fail to distinguish between the essential core of the two methods? Uh, for example, on the issue of language acquisition. I mean, did he really fail to understand uh, the differences between the two methods? Because if he did, then it is a waste of time to read a poorly researched book that gives the wrong impression of the subject. Now, here's the thing. I don't think so. And uh, let me share one example, which came as a big surprise to me. So what I thought was an exaggerated description of what sometimes happened some, seems to be a sought-after outcome of CPM-style methods. Okay? So let me just read what Rhodes writes and see whether you believe what's happening here. I quote, CPM-style methods even encourage unbelievers to lead if they seem intent on obeying Scripture. James Nyman tells the story of Aisha, a woman who has read some stories about Jesus and the prophets and reports having obeyed the Bible by arguing less with her husband. Aisha is not even asked whether she has trusted Christ as her saviour or if she even knows what it might mean to trust Christ as her saviour before she is asked to coach Wati, another unbelieving woman, as Wati leads Bible studies with her family. As a part of this arrangement, Aisha must decide if Wati's family has misconceptions about faith in Jesus in order to determine which Bible stories Wati's family should study. End quote. And as is his custom, Rhodes gives the footnote, uh, in the footnote, the author, book, and page number for this story so readers can refer whether is he uh, taking things out of context. And he also, uh, <laughs> Rhodes also preempts the reader's uh, possible incredul incredulity. He, 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 he thinks that readers might not believe that uh, people actually endorse this way of unbeliever leading a Bible study. And he preempts uh, our shock by actually listing the endorsers. 
I quote, Let's readers imagine Nyman's approach to be unusual among CPM star practitioners, it is important to note that his book receives high praise from David Garrison, David Watson, Steve Smith, Steve Addison, Kevin Gleason, Stan Parks, Curtis Sargent, and many other promoters of CPM style methods, end quote. So he is saying that to have an unbeliever leading a Bible study is not something weird or rare, it is something that they actually command and would like to see. All right, so are you shocked? <laughs> then be even more shocked because what I thought was indefensible is actually pretty defensible. Let's try it and see. Now, thanks to, again, my friend, my brother in Christ, who is a DMM practitioner and trainer, he has helped me understand what is happening here. Number one, the, the unbeliever is not leading a Bible study as we traditionally understand leading. A better description is facilitating. She is a facilitator rather than a leader. Okay? The, number two, the questions that she asks okay, are fixed and the answers are to be found in the given passage. And uh, both questions and the passage are given by the Christian mentor. So there is a Christian involved. There is a believer involved in the process. It's just that the believer is not directly in the group, but the, the, the believer is leading the group. So it's kind of like, if I could put it this way, it's kind of like you have a believer who is speaking into uh, an in-ear, uh, like secret service type of uh, in-ear, what do you call those things, phone. Uh, all right. So he's speaking into the, the, the facilitator. He's coaching the facilitator. So that is so, and the and the Christian is staying out of the picture, out of the circle, in order to make the group more comfortable uh, as they uh, share the story of Jesus. They can talk about Jesus within their uh, household, but it's still being led. It's still being prayed for. There is still a, a believer working in the group. It's just that it is invisible in that sense. So the unbeliever is kept in a manner of speaking on a tight leash okay so he can't just say whatever he wants and they have more reasons okay they have more reasons for having an unbeliever facilitating a bible study and uh but as i try to argue i think i make a quite a good case that the leader should be a christian don't you think so some of you may disagree at this point. <laughs> but I think the leader of a Bible study should be a Christian because only the Christian knows the high stakes involved, the eternal stakes uh, of, of uh, salvation. And um, only the Christian would pray for the souls of the people in the study. And if something happens, like someone say they are sick or, or whatnot, or divorce or family relationships, then the leader can pray for them. I mean, that is how we demonstrate and model faith within the study group as well, isn't it? And... Uh, also, I think scripture does support this by saying that spiritual things are understood by the Spirit. And, and I think it's implied there that it should be conveyed by believers. I mean, Paul teaching Timothy. I mean, there is this sort of believers to believer passing uh, on to others. Um, but even as I make the case, as I think about what DMM or CPM star methods are trying to do, um, I find that... Uh, curiously enough, it's, I'm arguing against Christians who have an incredibly high view of Scripture. <laughs> they, they have a view that believes anyone, anyone who reads and understands the plain meaning of Scripture, which we also believe, right? I mean, <laughs> if they really understand the plain meaning of Scripture, they will be open to the power of Scripture. So, 
if we can see how they they look, maybe we would not be so shocked and and uh, be so uh, perhaps uh, angry at what's happening over here. I mean, I still disagree strongly, but it's not as incomprehensible or irresponsible as when you first hear it. I mean, many famous comprehensions, um, not comprehensions, conversions. Many famous conversions uh, happen, for example, John Wesley's, just by hearing scripture, unmediated without commentary. So, if uh, it's just that it's strange for us to see it as a default approach rather than seeing it as a singular, highly unusual uh, event, a road to Damascus event, or, or Martin Luther being, I mean, a thunderstorm event. We won't see it as a default way of, uh, of uh, presenting the gospel. So Paul, Luther, and Wesley, uh, and no matter how they were converted, they also clearly intended for Scripture to be taught and explained to believers and unbelievers. Um, so I, I still have problems with, with this approach where an unbeliever facilitates, facilitates a Bible study. But anyway, I, I just want to throw it out that what I'm trying to say over here is that Rhodes, even if he, even if I concede, which I'm not sure I concede yet, that he has misrepresented or wrongly summarized this, uh, this um, uh, CPM star methods, there is still plenty over here for us to talk about <laughs> uh, among the, the practitioners of these movements. As I as I argued, just to let you know, as I argued with my fellow believer who sees great value in DMM, I also recognize in my own heart uh, a desire to win the argument for how I think missions should be done. So I just want to offer you some advice if you are like me. I want you to remember this quote from D.L. Moody that has always made me humble. Uh, someone criticized his way of evangelism and uh, Moody replied, I quote, It is clear that you don't like my way of doing evangelism. You raise some good points. Frankly, I sometimes do not like my way of doing evangelism, but I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. End quote. <laughs> I have to remind myself as I talk, because I can just talk and talk, that uh, at the end of the day, um, both camps, as they are doing it. So I think it is still better uh, their way of doing it better than my way of not doing it. Consider this, all right, just to make my case. One day I was listening to a Voice of the Martyrs podcast episode on Afghanistan. The interviewer uh, was asking a missionary on what it was happening to the Christians after the fall of Kabul. And it was clear that the missionary being interviewed is using CPM-style methods because he was using CPM-style language. On a different day, I was listening to Recorded, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition. The episode title was Escape from Kabul. I listened to the story of an Afghan believer who eventually interned with Capitol Hill Baptist Church, which is Mark Dever's church. Mark Dever, if you recall, is the guy who wrote the foreword to Matt Rhodes' No Shortcut to Success. Now, this Afghan brother, as I listened, had a different journey, which is no less harrowing than the earlier guy. So we have brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who are suffering for their faith. And uh, they are practicing both methods, both mission methods, Matt Rhodes' one and all the Watson's method and so on. So maybe, maybe one way is indeed better, um, more biblical than the other, but 
our heart, our posture in this discussion is not so much that I win means you lose, but let us find a way to win souls together better for the Lord. As uh, Rhodes puts it rightly, whenever we look at any ministry method, we must attempt to learn what we can. So I think that is a very good point to remember as we read this book. I mean, reading whether it's his critique or whether it's reading uh, those movements uh, itself. In conclusion, if you are following church planting movement or disciple making movement or training for trainers, uh, T4T, or any other mission method, uh, new or old, William Carey, Adonai Judson, and so on, you should still read Matt Rhodes' book. You will not like what he says. You, you may not like what he says. You may say that he got many things wrong about those movements that he is criticizing. But since he is quoting those books, then maybe a part of what is wrong is coming from those books. <laughs> and if you are serious about missions, as all Christians should, then I suggest that No Shortcut to Missions, a manifesto for modern missions, is a must-read. I mean, it should be one of those books you should consider if you're going to go into mission work. It's a book, especially part two of the book, that missionaries would say, I wished I had read this when I decided to be a missionary. And with that, I think there is no better endorsement for this book. This is a Reading and Readers review of No Shortcut to Miss Success, a manifesto for modern missions by Matt Rhodes. If you like this book review, then make sure to subscribe to Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Thank you for listening.